Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill. In this episode, our guest is Richie Bean, the head coach at Alabama State University. Had an absolute blast talking with Richie, getting to know him better, learning his really unique story, uh, heartfelt story of how he got into coaching and track and field, his music background, which was just simply amazing, and then his 20-plus years at Alabama State. It's a kind of a unicorn in my book. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy this one. I think you're going to learn a lot. Uh, would look forward to hearing your feedback. Give us a review or a rating on iTunes if you listen on the Apple podcast app. Otherwise, without further ado, please help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Richie Bean. Uh, like I said, man, we rock and roll. We, we, we're, uh, I hate to say we're live. You and I are live, but people listening right now, they, uh, they don't have the luxury of uh, sitting in. It's probably, probably better for you and I that we're not live. We, we get to edit ourselves here a little bit. Uh, Richie, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is one. It's interesting. You and I have known each other. This is the way I best explain people that I, that I like real well. I don't know how you and I met. And I mean that in a good way. It's like, oh, I've just always known Richie. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it, it's interesting because if you now that you mentioned that, I, it's just like you popped up. I, I, the one thing that I know what bonded us together, we were at, uh, at a meet and we were talking about our kids and I saw the tattoo on your arm uh, from where your daughter, I think it's your, her name or your name that she had wrote for the first time yeah. and you got a tattoo. And so that, that actually bonded us together. And I think we've just been kind of like had a, a more of a connection in because we, we, we have kids and, and we, we're family oriented. That's a really good memory because no one sees these tattoos because I don't run around the track meets without my shirt. You're, you're welcome, everybody. Um, you're right. I took, so I've got two, two kids, a boy and a girl, and I took the first time that they wrote their names correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. I had that traced and tattooed. Uh, Troy on one side, he was my first my firstborn, and then Cassidy on the second. That's right. Yeah. Boy, that's good memory. I got to be careful around you now. You get too good of a memory. <laughs> But, but you know, because I think I, uh, I think uh, you have a, a six-year-old. I have a seven-year-old. So mm-hmm. they're kind of right there at the same age together, and that just that just kind of made me like, wow. And uh, I still actually have the paper where my little girl wrote her name correctly for the first time. It is big. It's the little things like that. Being parents, that we um, we tend to like miss. But, you know, you kind of inspired me like, hey, I need to make sure I hold on to that because mm-hmm. she actually did it one day in church and I, and I still have it tucked away somewhere, you know, and it's kind of like them taking their first step. These are certain things yeah. you just want to hang on to. But, and, you know, hey, you the man. And it's, you know, as, as they get older, you know, when our kids become 15, 20, 30 years old, which I just... I can't imagine that, Richie, to be real frank with you. Uh, you know, they'll be signing their names on mortgages and checks and things like that to be able to show, look, look, little girl, this is where you started right here. This is the first time you wrote your name for crying out loud. So, yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's and cool. probably by the time they by the time they get that age, they're probably going to be need to sign stuff for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Put me in a good place, please, kids. Put me in a good home. That's right. That's right. That's the only reason I'm nice to my kids. I'm like, just remember right. this. Please, please, please. 
Uh, well, I'm kind of uh, calling you a unicorn a little bit here, Richie, in the description. For anybody who's read the description of this episode, you have been at Alabama State now for over 20 years. Uh, a couple 20, of years. By 23, 24. 23. Yeah. I think you got to Alabama State roughly when I got to Troy University. I think that's, we kind of synced up there. Um, yep. And I'm sure we, you know, it's funny is I'm sure, because I think, I know you guys came to our meets uh, at Troy. So I'm sure we yes. met during that time. That's what's kind of funny about it. Um, what's interesting, a couple of years ago, I can't remember who at all is with me. I was sitting around a bunch of coaches and I'm sure it was at convention. And we were talking about coaches who've been at their institution for a, a length of time. Um, you know, we, we talk about coaches who jump from institution to institution. And by the way, guilty. You know, I coached for 10 years and I was at five different places. So I have no room to talk here. But, um, you know, we got through about 10 coaches. Uh, I think we named like Curtis Fry and Mouse Holloway. You know, they've been there for a good uh, long time. And um, I can't remember who we talked about uh, now at that point, but it wasn't many. Like we were struggling after we got to 10. Someone who's been at their same place for 20 years uh, says a lot about them as far as commitment and uh, character. What is it about, I mean, for crying out loud, you're Mr. Alabama State. What, what's it about Alabama State that has kept you there? You're certainly good enough to roam to go to other places, but you've had so much success there. Well, it I like to tell people it's, it's kind of like the three F's. It's, it's my faith, my family, and, and, my, and my friends. I, once you once you establish those things and it's all working for you, uh, I mean, that kind of what, what keeps me here. I understand my purpose and I'm working within my purpose. And, you know, there's been opportunities uh, plenty of times where I've, I've had an opportunity. But again, it's in my faith. I, I do believe and understand that when it's time for me to move, it's going to be right for my family and my friends and the people who are closest to me will understand. And so that is the main reason why I'm still here because, you know, my faith, my family and my friends, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy what I do. So, you know, it's been some trying times. Don't get me wrong, but that's when all of those other things kick in, your family kick in, because my wife is here, her, par uh, her parents are here, my parents is uh, three hours away, so, and then I, I've made a lot of friends here, and so with me, with me being on the road a lot, it allows me to be able to travel and feel good when I'm gone, knowing that my wife can go down to my mother's house, my children have their friends here, and I got people here that I can lean on, that I can truly, brothers and sisters, uh, that I met since I've been in Montgomery. You came up with that faith, family, and friends really quick. That's obviously something that's been with you for quite a while. Did that come from a, a fellow coach or a family member, or how did that come about that? I, I love that faith, family, friend. It's easy, it's repetitive, it's, and it means a lot, those three things. Well, it's, it's one thing is, is, is about faith, you know, and it, and it has, faith has, doesn't have any type of denomination. Even in my, in, 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 within our program, we talk about faith over fear. You know, you can't, you can't be afraid. You got to be able to understand when you make decisions. You got to be able to live with those decisions and be man enough and woman enough for whatever consequences come behind it, good or bad. You can walk and you can live in it. So, and, and faith is one thing that I've always had. Uh, my family is, is the cornerstone, uh, part of the cornerstone of my faith. Again, there are friends that's just like family. So that is where my seed is planted within my life. 
And it's something that uh, my parents taught me. It's, it's something that was in, 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 uh, put into me at a very early age. And I had a college coach that kind of was like the same way, you know, just talk, talk to us about sticking together, being together. And when you plant your seed, you have to make sure that you water that seed, that it grows and blooms into whatever tree that you want it to be, whatever flower, whatever it is, you have to be able to be mad enough, warm enough to own up to it and, and do it. I love that you're living it out as well. You know, we, uh, especially in athletics, we have a lot of slogans, you know, the just do it, uh, faith, family, friends, uh, faith over fear, those kind of things. Uh, and they're good and they're, they're good reminders, but if they don't put ourselves into action, then it doesn't really matter. So I like that you're actually living out faith, family, friends in regards to growing real roots there in the Montgomery area at Alabama State. So, well, it's been a good ride. Go ahead. No, no, Sorry. keep going. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, you talked about family and you mentioned, uh, you know, your wife's family is from the Montgomery area and you mentioned your family is about three hours from you. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town called Shannon, Mississippi. It's uh, maybe about five miles right outside of Tupelo, Mississippi, the birthplace mm -hmm. of Ever, Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. So I'm, I'm straight out of Mississippi. Uh, so I'm a country boy at heart and uh, that's where I, Again, a lot of my roots are from the rest. My personality says country boy. It says family. It says friends. And, and, and you know, I'm one of those people, if I invite you, invite you over, or I, I say, hey, come have dinner with me. We're going to go out to dinner. Where I'm from, that means something. It means something. So if we break bread together, we, we fellowship together, and we share stories together, that's a bun. You know, that's why, I, like, when we talked earlier, uh, when we had that conversation, at, 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 I think it was in Auburn, and you talked about your family, that meant a lot to me because everybody don't their family, mm. and, 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 and I take pride in that, so, and that's how we developed a friendship. And I know everybody's different, but let me tell you what, I I'm, can't be more proud of my family than anything. So uh, while I, I like to pretend I don't have as much ego, I will brag uh, till the sun comes down, buddy, on my family. Because trust me, when it comes to me, that's the best part of me is my family. So I got to brag Absolutely. about that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's a good segue. Um, we talked about you at Alabama State for over 20 years, and we'll get to some highlights uh, from that because there are many highlights for crying out loud. Why don't we talk about how did you even get to Alabama State? Take us back and how you got into track and how you got into coaching. Okay. All right. So here we go. I'm going to try to give you you guys as a short version of this as possible. I ran track, of course, in high school, and then I had aspirations of running in college. My senior year in high school, my brother was a senior at Jackson State University on his way back the day after Easter. And we know in South, we're infamous for uh, tornadoes. He got caught in a tornado on his way back to Jackson State University, picked his car up and dropped him uh, during my senior in high school and left him in a coma. No. Uh, yes, yes. So immediately, my senior year in high school, uh, the day after Easter, I got thrust into parenthood because my, my mother and father had to go away and try to do everything they could to preserve whatever they could do mm -hmm. to keep my brother alive. Because basically when they got to Jackson, they had to make a tough choice, either take him off the respirator, uh, the ventilator, whatever you call it, uh, and, and let him pass, or keep him on it to see what may happen. And the doctors were like, well, you know what, we don't think he'll ever be functional again. 
that's one of the toughest decisions oh, my parents right. ever had to make, which they left him on it. And um, he passed away a week before national championships, indoor last year. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's another so this, whole thing. This entire time, he, yes. he's been in a coma? Yes. Yes. Well, I guess what you call, I don't know the medical term, but a semi-coma. He's never been able to walk, never been able to, able to talk, been on a feeding tube and all of that stuff. And, you know, that's why I say my, my, my faith and my family and my friends are so important to me because at that point, at that early in my, uh, in my growing up, I was thrown into being an adult because taking care of my younger brother and sister, right. still trying to finish up track, trying to salvage any type of senior year in high school that I could, you know, and I remember my, my, uh, at the graduation, I got the teenage father of the year award. I wanted to, I am thankful for all of the championships won, but that's one of the, the awards that I hold dear to me. Uh, out of everything that I've always done, is being a known, getting an award that's being named as the teenage father of the year because I had to take care of my brother and sister while my parents was trying to take care of my brother going back and forth from Jackson to Florida to Arkansas, just mm. whatever, you know, us being a parent, you're going to go do whatever it is you got to do for your child. Mm -hmm. And so I got that. So long story short, I'm going to college. I uh, was pretty good at, 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 at running a distance and long jumping. And but I gave all that up. I gave all that up and I took a music scholarship to a junior college so that I could stay Really? What kind of, were you like a, like the band or what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, music and running was, uh, I started both of those at an early age. I ran my first road race in the sixth grade and I started playing music in the sixth grade. So, oh, wow. and I did, I did music all the way until my senior year in college. I never picked up my music again, but I mean, I mastered the mellophone, baritone, French horn and, uh, trumpet. What? Brass guy. Yeah. Holy lungs, man. cow, man. Yeah, lungs, yeah. So you went yeah. into junior college to do to do that, like a marching band or something or something? Yes, I got a music scholarship and I had no no intentions of doing music in, in college. I wanted to run. I was good at music, but I had no intentions of doing it in college. But they offered me a scholarship uh, to come there and it, it kept me closer to home, mm. to my parents. So I, I gave up running and you know, the, the story is um, when I was in college, I would, in college, I would do little races in the street and my friends used to call me Ricochet Rabbit <laughs> because I would, I, would, I would literally race people in the street uh, just for fun and, you know, maybe get a couple of dollars here and there, you know. <laughs> so that's what I did my first two years in college. And uh, now when you said you gave up running, do you mean you gave up running for a team? Like, were you still running yourself or did you just give up running? I, I literally gave up running. Mm -hmm. I mean, and when I say gave up running, I didn't compete anymore. If I did any type of exercise, it would be basketball. And again, I was on a mm -hmm. full music scholarship. And I, and so my attention was to that because I knew it was no way my parents could afford if I lost my scholarship to stay in college. And so, and my, and one of my biggest things is I never wanted, or still to this day, want to disappoint my parents. So I had to do what I had to do. Well, I never want to speak for other people, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say they are not disappointed in you, my friend. Holy cow. <laughs> Jeez. 
Oh man. So, uh, oh, okay. Ahead. Well, well the, the, we've already spoiled her. We know you are in coaching track and field. So how did they get back into running? Okay. So, um, music got me back into running. Um, gentleman that I grew up in, in my neighborhood, he was like, look, man, we, we have to get you out of this area because what you end up doing is settling like most, a lot of the people and, and no knock on the people where I'm from, but most kind of just settle in and, and get them up home and work in the factories because and people are we're known for factories and things like that. He's like, I got to get you out of here. He said, I'm going to take you down to Alcorn State University. I'm going to put you in front, of, in front of my uh music director when I was in college and let you play for him and see what he thinks about you. So a uh, guy by the name of Rodney Gorey, you know, he had already graduated. He took time out of his schedule, drove me five hours wow. uh, to Lorman, Mississippi. I put up on Alcorn campus, go in there with my mouthpiece, play for the band director. Uh, I got done off of Mill 4 scholarship to finish up my college career. So I go to Alcorn on another music scholarship for a ride. Holy cow, really? They went, yeah, yeah. Now, and my son takes piano lessons. I'm, I'm Tonight, I'm telling him, like, look, man, like, you got a shot. Like, there's, like, scholarships for this. I didn't know that. Holy oh, cow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. So, again, <laughs> I, I had no, again, I had no desire to do music in college. I wanted to do sports. And, again, mind you, I haven't competed uh, – since high school, we two years, two years out. And uh, I get there and, and I, I start track, I mean, start uh, music there and marching in the band, traveling with them. And uh, a lady by the name of uh, Alicia Shilgas was the head coach there. And she was short on, not didn't have many distant runners. And I was like, hey, I'll run distance. She said, well, why don't you come out? And she was like, I tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna, down at Alcorn, if you ever been to anybody that's listening, ever been to Alcorn, it's, we call it a seven-mile stretch. It's seven miles from the time you pull off campus to get to the main highway. It's about seven miles. And so she's like, all right, I'm going I'm to I'm let you out, and I want you to run this stretch. And the rest of the kids was terrible. It was all like jumpers and, and stuff like that. They had no desire to run cross country. So I'm the only crazy person. I run the whole seven-mile stretch. And she was like, and then she was like, well, where's Richie? I was like, he already gone because she hadn't she didn't think I was going to run that whole seven mile stretch you know and uh and she was like man this this kid could really run and so I actually uh got back got back into running uh and I ran my senior year huh. in college was that seven miles so that was off of no training like you weren't doing like five miles a day for the fun of it although i cannot imagine that being fun but uh you were doing any of that it was just off of your man that's out listen i was a bona fide college student I, <laughs> that's like that's a good full role. <laughs> listen I, I had took on the full role of a musician anybody that knows musicians we had musicians have a certain lifestyle and uh just having fun and you know and again i mean i Again, I always kept good grades and things mm -hmm. like that. I, you know, I was in a fraternity, uh, and again, I was pretty popular around campus, and um, and so, but because I did music, and we were we were a HBCU band, and the way that we practice, and imagine I'm, I'm playing the tuba, so I had the lungs, mm -hmm. and 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 so when I just when I took out, she's like, man, this. Um, and so pretty much it wasn't many distant people. I pretty much, um, you know, knew about running and I, and I pretty much 
She let me do what I need to do and just gave me a spot on the team. Awesome. But the crazy part about being on the team was my love for athletics, like just went from like 40 to 120. Oh, it was like pouring gas on it. Right. And man, oh. I, I, the love for it is it, it, it never left. And so I was my senior year in college, I was interning for elementary education. I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I, said, I didn't want to coach. I said, I want to coach. Wow. And my coach, um, during the time she said, if you really want to coach, she's like, I'm going to start teaching you the ropes. And she's a very good jumps coach. Um, had a lot of, have had a lot of success in her career. Just started teaching me about the business side. And mind you, I'm still a student. I'm still running, but I'm a student, but I'm learning about coaching. Mm -hmm. So they, it was a running joke on the team. Like, here's this new guy, just pop up, senior in college. Yeah, he's true. on the team. And like, and so they was like, you're not really an athlete. You, you're a coach because I could to do everything and like I learned paperwork and I never forget she gave me this real real thick book she said here's your your Bible to coaching and she said everything by every event is in here and she said you better not give it to anybody else and she said if you ever going to be a champion she said build your field and build your distance and you'll be Holy cow, what an influence she had on you. Yeah. Wow. That book. And uh, she. Okay, when I everybody, got, everybody wants to know what is the freaking book? What book is this, man? Everybody wants to go read this book now. <laughs> man, I have to go through a lot of stuff to find. I can't, I can't remember that book. You I still got it, though, away. don't you? Yeah, yeah I got it. It's, 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 put, it's put away in a very, very safe place. <laughs> but I, I got to find that book. Um, but it had, it basically was a track and field book, and it, teaches about the basics of every event. Hmm. And it was like super thick. Hmm. So you, you ran track through high school and then you mm -hmm. had to take this, it seems like maybe basically about a three year hiatus because you didn't run track again to your senior year in college. And you expressed it as like your desire for athletics just exploded. Do, do you think it was like if, if you had your crystal ball and you could see two lives of Richie Bean, one is someone who ran all four years in college. The other one is, is today. You, you, you didn't do three years and then you ran your senior year. Do you think the passion would have been the same or do you think that absence from it really grew? I, I absolutely think it was the absence from it. You know, I, I love running. Don't get me wrong. And still to this day, I get out and run. I think I do very well to be 46 and, and <laughs> get out and still be able to run the way I do. But um, it was the absence for it. And it was my drive to be better than I was and to be able to give my parents something when we went through a very, very tough time in our life. And I also wanted to make my brother proud because the thing about it was, and I want to backtrack a little bit. I was, I was pretty rough my senior year in high school. And it had gotten to a point to where my parents were like, you know what, we can't do anything with you. And my brother drove up from Jackson State on a Friday, got me from school, drove me back to Jackson, 
and mentored to me. He was like, man, look, cause I was getting in trouble. Mm. And he mentored him. He was like, man, you gotta do better. He's like, man, you're smart. He said, but you're, you're headed down the wrong path. Um, I got in trouble a few times at school. I got kicked out of school my senior year, but I was, but I mean, yeah. And so my brother just mentored and poured into me that weekend. And we went back to Jackson and we drove back up Saturday. And it was about a three hour job to Jackson from where we live. And we drove back up that Saturday when he got off work that night. Here's the, here's the crazy part to this story. As we're driving back, because he was working at the mall in Jackson, when he got off work, we hit the road coming back. He let me drive. And en route to the house, we were coming through right outside of Louisville, Mississippi, if I'm recalling correctly. He wakes up out of his sleep and he says, hey man, slow down. It's dangerous in this area. Slow down. And we proceeded on with the trip. And like I said, that weekend, he just mentored to me, poured into me. We went to church that Sunday. He talked to me again about life on that Sunday, about going to college, about how to have a relationship with, with girls when I go to college, and about making something of myself. He had the accident that Monday. Guess where he had the accident? Oh, no, where he says right slow down. Louis, Louisville, Mississippi. True story. Dude, your brother is a life changer. If he doesn't take the time, or if he tells mom and dad, to, yeah, next weekend, I'll, I'll talk to him next weekend. We're talking about a whole different lifespan for you at this, uh, to this point in life. Oh my goodness. So it's like, I have no choice. Mm. I, owe it, I owe it to him, I owe it to my parents, I owe it to my children, I owe it to any, any parent child who is looking for a coach that has a purpose and want to be able to make a difference in young people's lives. So, you know, that's why those three things I gave you, I, 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 it is, it, I, hold, I hold firm on it and I believe in it. And nobody can tell me different until it's got to be something. It, it's hard for somebody to tell me any different. Right yeah, I was about to say, what more proof, man? Come on. What, what's, unless <laughs> aliens come down, my friend, I don't know what could shake you from that. Holy cow. That is I mean, you lived it, so it's believable. Uh, it's it's uh, awestruck is what I'm. Uh, it's just amazing, literally. That is amazing. That's unbelievable. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, boy, it's hard to transition from that, man. That's that's a story right there of just redemption and life changing and not putting things off. I love that so much. Holy cow! Uh, well, I'm glad that you made something of yourself. So that everything wasn't in vain, my friend. Jeez. Uh, oof. Um, yeah, I'm supposed to stay in control as the host here, man. Yeah, I've lost all control. My emotions are just overrun right now, and that's not easy to do for me. So that's that's. Uh, oh man. Well, let's talk about you. Decided you're going to get into coaching. Uh, she gives you the 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 Bible of coaching track and field, and you you go. Sounds like you go full head of steam into. I am going to be a coach. And uh, that's how she put me in contact with Coach Crump, which was the head coach at the time at Alabama State. And I came on as a GA. And mind you, I'm from Mississippi. I'm a country boy. So it was a major transition for me moving to a city because this is the most city I've been in because Alcorn is in the middle of nowhere. If you've ever been to Tuskegee or anywhere like that, any school that's off in the middle of nowhere, that's Alcorn. So when I get to Montgomery, Alabama, this is the most city I've 
ever been in. So I was blown away at first just by, I could go get something to eat at 12 o'clock at midnight, you know? Like, man, I was taking full advantage of this stuff, you know? And just seeing a different side of athletics outside of being at a at an even smaller school, being in a very uh, rural country area, and then now here it is. I'm in the city. It's a new lifestyle for me now. I'm a graduate assistant. I'm fresh out of uniform, going straight into coaching. And so, Coach Crump's like, "All right, you got the cross country team." And so it was. It was. It was. It was interesting because now I'm trying to write workouts. And here it is. I think I was 23, maybe at the time. And the athletes looking at me like, who, who is this kid? Mm-hmm. Like, what is he going to tell us? And, and, but and you I don't even so, have like, you don't even have like experience to draw on like, well, hey, man, I ran for four years at Alcorn and I did. Duh, 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 duh. And you're like, no, no, I remember one year. <laughs> right. I remember this. I remember this. This, this, uh, this young, young this gentleman, uh, very good 800 meter runner. And, uh, Really good 800 meter runner. He was like, he can't coach me. He don't. He doesn't. He doesn't know anything. Man, I was just. Can you imagine? And he he says this in front of everybody. So you know, I had to pick my feelings up. Like I had to stand there strong, but but I had to pick my feelings up. And everybody just laughed. I was like, okay, you're stronger than this. I tell me, you're stronger than this. I know you don't know much, but you but you got you got the book. And I would call my coach, and I was just. Man, and then you got to imagine I'm fresh out of college. I I, I want to coach, but then I want to be, I want to still have fun, because you got to remember, I've I've lived this very very sheltered type of life growing up in Mississippi, where you know wasn't exposed to a lot. So now here it is. There's a lot of other opportunities for me here to do things, and now I'm I'm, I'm out of college. Now I don't have to to protect the scholarship. Because I knew if I ever lost my scholarship, I was done. And so now it's like, now I want to coach. Now I want to have some fun too. And it took me about two years to get that balance together. And, and, and mind you, I'm working on my master's at the same time. Mm-hmm. What were you doing for your master's? Uh, physical education. Mm-hmm. So have you ever heard of the term imposter syndrome? No. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite common. I'm sure when I describe it, if you're listening right now, you could probably think of a time that you had it. It's, like I said, it's extremely common. It's uh, everything from athletes to coaches to private sector businesses, even as you know, fathers and, and mothers, we would have this as well. It's that little voice that sometimes creeps in your head and says, uh, what am I doing here? I am not good enough to be XYZ. I, I get it sometimes as a father, you know, my, my son and daughter will do something and I'm like, I can't handle this. I, I'm not suited to be a dad. Like I, I this was a mistake. I, they did not give me kids. They, they should not have done that. Right. So, uh, and, and, and we could even have that, you know, today as a 20 plus year veteran of coaching, there may be sometimes where, you know, in your head, you're just like, what am I doing here? Like, I think they messed up making me the head coach or whatnot. How easy is it for this 23 year old to be in charge of this cross country squad. And this 800 meter guy says, yeah, yeah, he can't coach me, he doesn't know anything. It's easy to have that little inner voice in your head going, yeah, what am I doing? Why am I, uh, who, who am I to be the coach of this cross country team? How did you, what, what did, things did you do to start establishing credibility amongst the team 
to, to gain their trust. When I got stuff wrong, I owned up to it. If I didn't know, I would ask. And I think one of the biggest things, mistakes that a lot of even older coaches, or let's, I don't want to say older season coaches, maybe, but especially younger coaches, is when you don't know something, just say you don't know. And ask. You know, just like when you just asked me, did I know? It? No, I, I didn't know what it was. Just say, I, just say you don't know. And then ask. And so when I made mistakes, I owned up to it. Uh, my, my mentor, my boss at the time, Coach Horace Crump, Crump was phenomenal. He allowed me to make mistakes. Mm. He gave me more life lessons than coaching lessons because the life lessons led over into the coaching lessons. Mm. Um, and so, and, and, and the thing about it was that one of the biggest things I had to accept and when I say this name, and he and I are good friends today, and we have mad respect for one another, one of my best athletes as a young coach during that time, I had to let go because I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't seasoned enough to coach him. And that's Jabri Harris. Jabri Harris was my first All-American athlete that I started out with. And he ended up with All-American status at Tennessee. Jabri was an All-American state. I was his. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he transferred from here. And, and I mean, I just, and him and the guy, the guy I was telling you about, say, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. I, I humble, I, I, I didn't even about me humbling myself. I knew I wasn't, he was good. And I wasn't equipped. He made the decision to transfer and which it was the best decision for him. And he got what he needed at, at, at Tennessee. He ended up being an All-American, win a national championship. Now he's coaching, and and I mean he's one of the I think one of the one of the best coaches out there. When reference to coaching 800 meters, and know and knowing the event and transforming athletes into phenomenal 800 meter quarter milers, um, whatever. And he in a couple of years ago he even had a a super high jumper. I was about to say, he reminds me a lot of what Brooks Johnson was telling us that, you know, instead of being a sprint coach or an 800 meter coach, you got to be a track coach. And Jabri yeah. was one of the first people that popped in my head because I'm like, man, that dude had coached, I don't know if she made All-American, but she was, I know she made nationals, high jump, like yeah. I think she jumped six feet. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this, this 800 meter runner is coaching a six foot high jumper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's, he was, he was. He was my 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 very first person in that in that in that group that I had as a young coach, and uh, but as 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 time continued to go, uh, Coach Crump allowed me to recruit, and we got a group of young ladies in that were pretty good at the time, but they were non qualifiers, and we got and that's when they had just given us enough scholarships to start rebuilding the women program. And we took we took a hit for like one year. And when I say hit, we just set some really good girls out mm -hmm. for one year. And and we waited patiently and and my coach uh, from Alcorn was kicking our butt and, and the legendary coach, Coach Johnny Thomas, uh, uh, that was at Southern, uh, that, during that time, that's when uh, Brian was jumping for Coach Thomas, Brian Johnson. Mm. Um, he's at New Orleans now. Yeah, so, so and, and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So, and, uh, and so I just sat back and I watched all these great coaches go to work and they would beat up on us. And I was always telling them, we'll be back. We'll be back. And so we started turning around. And like I said, I got there in 97. I hear about State in 97. In the fall of 2000, our very first championship ever won in SWAT championship for ASU and track was won fall 2000. The first SWAC track or cross country championship. Holy cow. Wow. So did you parlay that graduate assistant straight into an assistant coaching job? Yes. 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 When I finished up my uh, master's, um, you know, Coach Mark brought me on full time and it just kind of, you kind of took off from there. And then I went from being an assistant coach to a head coach, which was very scary. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that transition. So, I mean, graduate assistant to full-time assistant is its own transition and, you know, you get additional mm -hmm. responsibilities and now your paycheck is actually tied to the whole thing, not just right, uh, right. tuition payments and things like Decision that. Decision-making skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How long were you the assistant coach before you became the head coach? I became assistant coach and full-time assistant in 2000 once I got my master's. Mm -hmm. No, I'm sorry, 99, 99, because I got my master's in 99, so I got hired on full-time in the fall of 99. Mm -hmm. 2000 and, season, yeah. Yeah, so, and, um, and so I went from there in 2008 is when I became full-time. i never forget it. Uh, we didn't have a really, really good outdoor season that year. And I remember being in Albany, Georgia, at the state meet recruiting. And so I'm calling Coach Crumb like, like, man, we got to turn this around. We, we had got our butts whipped. And I was like, Coach, I, I'm looking at this person. I got this person, this, that. And, um, and so he, he was like, well, Coach, it's, 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 it's all yours. I'm like, uh, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? He said that I just turn in my my retirement and uh, you didn't know. No, he said the program is yours. What were you? How how <laughs> I can't imagine the fear, excitement. I mean, there's so many emotions there. Man, listen, I, I remember I was driving to the meet, and it's like you know how like you get some news, and it's like your armpits start itching. Your head started itching, feel like you got to go to the bathroom. I just feel like I was about to pass out. So I just pulled over into a hotel parking lot and was just like, what did he just say? He's like, yeah. He was like, yeah. He said, you can sign whoever you want to. It's all yours now. Like, you can sign you whoever you I'm, want I'm, I'm, to. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so it, it was exciting, but I was so nervous. Yeah. And, so, and, and it really didn't hit me until I got back that Monday and I went over to his office and he started giving me boxes of stuff. You know, here's all the paperwork, here's the financial stuff, here's this, that, and the third. He's I'm gonna show you everything. And like, it, 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 it's not like he retired and it was like, it's gonna be six months down the road. It's like, I had a month to figure out what I'm gonna do as a head coach. I can't say what type of scared I was so air, but just understand. <laughs> Just understand, it's a clean up on our one, brother. Yeah. Oh, my. 
I can't imagine on this one. So it sounds like Coach Crump, and he's, you know, I, I met him a couple times when I was at Troy, and, you know, his history is legendary in what he has done in our sport. But it sounds like he didn't, as an assistant, you weren't real involved in that side of things. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying to sound from what you're saying, like he's going to teach you this, that you had one month to learn everything. Um, he, again, he gave me a lot of life lessons, mm -hmm. you know, uh, pretty much like I, I, I here's the type of learning that learner I was, I respected the people before me and I honored the people before me. So he didn't have to tell me a lot of stuff. I watched what he did. Coach Johnny Thomas at Southern University, like I was a professional snooper. Go to other other teams' camps and just hang out, and I would listen to the coaches. I would listen to the athletes. I would figure out what they're doing. If you were successful, if I could get close to you, I would watch everything that you do, and I would take mental notes, visual notes, and actually write things down. So uh, workouts and stuff that Coach Crump had, the way that he 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 managed people, his personality how he won people over, how did he get people to perform at a certain level uh, against the odds. And so I just watched and I, and I respected what he given to me. And I mean, I was the type of uh, GA and assistant coach um, when he would pull up, get ready, load the bus. I'm going to get off the bus. And I'm going to grab his bag and load it up mm. on the bus. You know, I was loyal. And so when it was time for me to be a head coach, the, the shot was he protected me so much from the business side of it. And that's the part I didn't know. The, and, and yeah. And when he retired, it sounded like, like you, you were like, it wasn't like, Hey, I'm retiring. You've got a shot to be the head coach. He said, it's all yours. It was almost like a, a baton handoff here. First yeah. leg to second leg. All right, your turn. His exact words is that coach, I'm giving you, he said, I'm giving you keys to the Mercedes. Don't wreck it. <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, man, but it was, it was, it was a lot. Uh, yeah. What was the hardest part to learn? You know, you, you, like you said, you got scheduling, budget, personnel, human resources. Now you have so I much more. Than I, did, coach. I didn't know any of that. When I say I absolutely didn't know any of that. What my, my responsibility was to coach, mm. to coach and to recruit. That was my responsibility. Um, again, I was, I could come to work, do my portion of the job as an assistant coach. And, you know, as long as I did what I was supposed to do, I could actually get lost for an hour or two and, and nobody even asked where I am, you right. know? <laughs> and then now here it is, there's a full slate accountability from sun up to sundown. You know, I went from just doing itineraries, making sure everybody where they need to be. And now I'm giving all of this stuff about budgeting uh, and, and how I didn't never knew about how to put a person, staff together mm. and not any of this stuff. But I knew how to work with people. Mm. And so I just took all of the little nuggets of things. And I remember, um, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I remember one day just being at her house and I was just like, mind you, hold on, mind you, during the time, well, no, this, well, that was a little bit later. 
But mind you, I'm like super, super nervous. And then it's almost like, not physically, but she had to like, give me like a verbal smack and like, what is wrong with you? Why do you walk around here like you crazy with your head about to come off your body? She's like, you were already built for this. She's like, stop walking around like you're scared and you're nervous. You were built for this. That was exact words. And it's almost like a big load came off of my shoulders. She's like, all you have to do is plan and whatever you need me to help you with, I'll help you. I said, I Maybe the best recruiting job you ever did was not letting her go and you ended up marrying her. <laughs> that seems like a pretty smart woman right there, my friend. Holy cow. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it just took off from there and everything was like a learning curve. Um, and, and that's where the program that you see today just kind of continue to morph into this. When you got the news that you were going to be the head coach, you know, that comes with certain preconceptions, what you think a head coach is. Until you become the head coach, you don't mm -hmm. know what it really is. What was the thing now that you have so much, uh, you can look back now, you have years to look back, you have experience on it. What was something that surprised you the most that maybe you, you thought head coaching was X and in reality it was Y or something like that? What I've learned for me, and again, so I made different on this, when you become a head coach, I feel like I was a great assistant. But then when I became head coach, I said, you know what? That's another side of humbling yourself. I said, I need to be a really good head coach and be able to find great assistants and be able to manage them so that we can put a really good product. When I say product, meaning student athletes, uh, Product meaning they graduating, product meaning uh, students that are socially aware, uh, students that become good citizens, and all of that. And the other other part about it, I learned that no matter where you are, at the end of the day, it's still business. Still mm. business because it's not my money. It's the mm. state of Alabama money. It's Alabama state money, and it's people that they're investing into. And I'm held accountable for everything and everybody that walks in and out of this program. And that's one of the things I think that I didn't know. I said, man, I'm accountable for a lot of things. If it goes good, 20 different people say they were, they were responsible for making it go good. But if it goes very bad, guess who's responsible for it it's only a mirror at that point you only look at it one person that's right that's right and uh and, and that's what i that's what i that's kind of the way i see it where did that humbleness come from you, you talked about that you realized it was about hiring good assistance uh and not just about you like you know you could have taken the ego route and be like okay i me i'm the head coach i'm going to make this program great to hell with anybody else. But instead, you, you express that as to hire good assistance. Did that come from your head coach at Alcorn State? Did it come from your head coach at uh, Alabama State? Mom, dad, where, that came from somewhere. I think it's, it's a combination of everything that I've been through, my upbringing, uh, being able to share things and spaces with various people and understanding that it takes a community of people to be successful 
and don't get me wrong, you can be as egotistical or self-serving as you want to be and still be successful. But understand, that's a hard horse to fall off of when it does. Mm. And if there's nobody there to pick you up, it's kind of a lonely road. But when you develop that faith and that, that, that family and those friends, you got people around you that get it. And it's not going to be perfect all the time. So I, that's why it was important for me to, because I knew what it was like when I was, he, he gave me the green light to say, hey, go. I'm here if you fall. Mm-hmm. If you mess up, I'm going to pull you in. I'm going to say, hey, listen, this is this is where it's going to be now. And I was, sometimes I would get so mad. I was like, man, why are you not listening to me? Like, you know, because every assistant coach think, hey, it, the head coach should do it this way. And I, a lot of, well, I say a lot of assistant coaches, hey, man, if I was head coach, I'd do it this way. And I had all these things. And and I, I had no idea. I had no idea. And so it's important to me when I get these good assistants, well, great assistants, and that, hey, go explore your craft. I'm here. Explore your craft. Be as great as you can be, because if I hold you back, I want to be able to have people around me that other people want. And if I have a bunch of people around me nobody else wants, what am I attracting? What type of students am I sending out? What type of coaches do I have, and nobody else see their worth? And so that's why it's important to me. Coach pulled me up when I was at a low point in life where I had thought I had lost the love for the sport, lost everything in the sport, Coach Shields at Alcorn and Coach Crump. And now, and even what my brother invested into me, it's important for me. My purpose is to take as many people and give them that, that first pull them up over the fence. And once I give get them over the fence of life, then give them a push, hmm. my head start. And that's so important for me. A couple of days ago, I had the honor of interviewing Charles Ryan, who I think you might know that guy a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard of him. <laughs> uh, he was like, if you're listening right now and you want to learn even more about Richie, and you're going to certainly continue to learn more here today in this episode, uh, but maybe at the end of this, go find the episode with Charles Ryan and near the end, we get to his time at Alabama State. He was an assistant coach for Coach Bean. Um, and, you know, I've gotten the honor to interview a lot of people. And we invariably, you know, the, 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 the podcast is titled Connections for a Reason. We're, we're looking at how do we make connections? What are the connections that, that you've had? You know, can, you know the co- Coach Crump and you connection, that's important and, and obviously had a huge uh, factor in your, your growing up as a coach and, and uh, growing and maturing into a head coach. Uh, but the way Charles describes you and the opportunity you gave him and how, I think this was important too, not just the opportunity you gave him to be uh, an assistant coach in your program, but how you gave him that opportunity. He, he expressed, I don't want to give away too much because you need to go listen to it, uh, but he talked about how you genuinely and authentically listened to him. And then when you made the decision to hire him, I mean, exactly what you just said there is exactly how he expressed it. You let him do his craft. You let him coach. You didn't micromanage him. You said, come here, do your craft, build your craft. I mean, that is a real amazing gift of, it's humility. It's, It's humbleness to kind of set your ego aside 
be vulnerable because you know what that assistant coach does or does not do. Their success or, or lack of success reflects on you. People, like you said, when it goes bad, there's only one thing in front of you, and that's a mirror. So if your sprints and hurdlers don't uh, achieve the success that other people think that they should, they come to you and say, well, hey, wh what's going on? Why, why are you letting that guy or gal coach that way? Or why didn't you step in? And, and, and on and on and on. So it's right. really amazing that humbleness uh, that you got. And I do get a sense that, you know, from your brother and your family, that that's where it was kind of uh, exemplified almost maybe on a daily basis. Absolutely. 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 You're absolutely right. That's amazing. So talk to us. Uh, you get the, you get the keys to the Mercedes and uh, here's the good news, Coach Crump. He did not crash it. <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> Talk about some of the successes you've had because you've had some amazing athletes uh, during your head coaching time there at Alabama State. Yeah, it's it's been truly a blessing. Um, you know, I, I, I am to be forty six, and at this point, I think my assistant coach, Coach Snap, conclusion of this indoor season before after COVID when COVID nineteen hit. At the conclusion of the indoor season, I think I had reached my 51st conference championship. And, you know, just having numerous athletes to go NCAA, regionals, nationals, and just, if, if, like I said, you mentioned it, looking in that crystal ball and saying, hey, what I've, if, if, if I could have predicted this, it's, it's no way. It, it, it's no way. Uh, the success is, is so many people are responsible for it. Um, and it's just, I remember wanting to take this program to another level. We had won some conference championships, had a few athletes here and there, um, when Coach Crump was uh, coaching, but I was like, man, I want to go to another level. And, 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 and at first, you know, I was, you know, I would, I would recruit heavy 800 meter runners, quarter milers. And I mean, we always kept a good four by eight, good four by four. Our sprints was doing pretty good. And then after we was cons consistent winning conference and one of my assistant coaches at the time took on a head coaching job at Alabama A&M hmm. and LaShonda Jones, which hmm. I have much respect for. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, and, and I love LaShonda to death. And I was like, okay, what direction? Do I want to go with the program? We were just coming off of making it to nationals with the four by four, and I had a, some really good quarter milers. And I mean, these kids, the, I had kids running that was going to nationals, and people overlooked. Uh, you know, I, you know, I like I said, I had an 800 meter girl who was a 216. She was like 206 at the time. She was a 57 quarter mile at the time. She was uh, 52, 50, uh, 52 split 53. As a as a as a sophomore junior or something like that, and you know, and it's been years ago. So I, you yeah. know, but at any rate, so when she leave, I had to make a very tough decision. Like, okay, what direction you want to go? What I know, sprints is the best way to have a continuous success in regionals and nationals. Love eight hundred. That's my event. Love four hundred. That's my event. But I had to be honest with myself. I asked myself, moving forward, how? Because it took a lot of work to get those fifty sevens, 
53s and 52s mm-hmm. and and 51s. So it was it was it was tough. And I said, Prince and Johnson's going to get. I said, I can coach it. I said, but is that my wheelhouse, or do you want to start recruiting personnel to fit the vision that you want to take the program? And or am I going to be okay managing the vision of the program, even if it means go out and get somebody who's probably a little bit better than you in coaching sprints? And what am I willing to not spend as much money in scholarship mm-hmm. in the events that I love to do? Right. Yeah. And go get what we need to be more consistent. Well. I don't have an ego. And I said, let me go out here and find the best replacement for my coach. He just left. And I started, I started within the conference and I and, and it just hit me one day, right? I was like, why? Because I offered one of the coaches in the conference the job and the coach declined. And so I was like, you know what? What am I doing? Do a national. I did a national search and that's how and i mean i was so surprised i i had so many people contact me it was, it's to the point it got frustrating because like it's too much <laughs> but, but our program, <laughs> right and so george ryan emailed me and i i remember him very well from the coaching convention and and everything and i i knew his work because when he was at ru i was like man we, we would be at the crossplex and i should get on my kids i'm like how are y'all letting these kids from our school just push all around in their division too <laughs> you know i think every coach have those conversations sometimes like because again it's like they will come up they will fly in from california come to the crossplex i'm like man these kids are good and if anybody know chuck and you know, Charles Ryan, we call him Chuck. If anybody knows Chuck, when he knows what he knows and he knows what he knows is right, he's gonna his his athlete's gonna let you know that because they mm-hmm. gonna come out in the performance. So when I saw his name come across my email, I was like, this is a no-brainer. Hmm. And so I asked all the questions, I dotted the I's and I crossed the T's. I was like, man, look here, come on, let's do this. Hmm. And it, it 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 took being humble. It took it take it take me falling back the mission and the vision of the program that I wanted to go. Uh, I, I still feel like, I, well, I still know that I'm strong in recruiting, and but also I, re, I also understood that they're also the next level of managing personnel mm. and giving people an opportunity to build who they are and help them along the way. And we just, we, we, we took the program to another level. We talked about recruiting what type of athletes I wanted to get into the program. And I wanted to know what type of connections he had, what type of connections I had and everything. At the end of the day, your name and your word means a lot. I said, we put all of these things together. We're going to do some super things on the track. And that's, that's, that's what, that's how the brand grew. Hmm. Well, talk to us about, so you're at Alabama state. It's a, um, I don't know um, how you would, what term you would use, a small school. It's not University of Alabama. It's not Auburn University. Uh, of course, at this point, I have to take my dig and say it's not a Troy University, you know, my alma mater, Richie, which, you know, it's the number one school in Alabama. 
Alabama State's number two. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, talk to us about some of the, um, I don't know if struggles is the right word, but what are some of the things that you've had to deal with uh, at Montgomery, Alabama, that you don't necessarily think some of your uh, peers have to deal with in Austin and Gainesville? And, and those are great guys. So this isn't about those people. It's just about right. the, 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 the realistic part of what you have to deal with uh, at an Alabama State. Well, here's the thing, you know, and, it, and it's, uh, it takes a sp special type of coach to survive at schools this size or any other place where there's economic challenges for its budgets. When you get different student athletes from very various backgrounds and when you have the challenge of not having all of the resources that your counterparts or your, your fellow other people that you have to compete against have it is it takes a lot of prayer preparation and patience because you just can't wake up and just think you're going to do it all year long by the by by the fly. It's just mm -hmm. don't it's just it's just not it's just not built that way. And your patience is going to be tested so much because like right now anybody that's know that's associated as close to this program probably will we have the worst track in our conference and probably practicing on in the state. But we're one of the most successful ones and it's just trying to instill in people the young people and in my staff we we can't use excuses and not only that not only our athletes are practicing here we have world-class athletes that come here and practice professional athletes that many people don't know but the struggle is the struggles from time to time is real but we don't make excuses and trying to get young people who have already had challenges at home and where some places have said, you know what, either you're not fast enough, you don't throw far enough, you don't jump far enough, or academically, you're not cut out. And they say, come here, here's a safe place. I have a young lady, and I'll kind of pause in a second, but this is a true story. I had a young lady who transferred in from a school, okay? and had some academic things, uh, some, some uh, social things that was challenging for at a, at a major uh, university came in and academically kind of started out kind of rocky, but wasn't doing bad, but kind of rocky. But I said, man, what is it? It's up. And we were sitting there talking one day and I just looked her in the face and I said, you know what? I said, it's safe. You're in a safe Whatever happened in life prior to you getting here, you're safe here. And man, she just cried. This kid who was deemed as an academic risk made 4.0 this semester. No way. And 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 um and it's sitting like at a two point a three point a three point three GPA. Oh, but awesome. it's those things, those challenges and those struggles where most people at, at bigger schools, either somebody somewhere else 
and the resource, other resources that they have in place to take on this challenge. As a head coach, and then along with my assistants, we personally take on this challenge. We don't have all these resources say, hey, you go over there if you got this issue, you go over there. Again, we do have resources, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, I do believe our kids perform because they know the way that we care is at a whole nother level that a lot of some that they may get at other places. I love that story about that young lady you, you mentioned. You know, I struggle sometimes with the, um, uh, you know, we, the, the lack of second chances some people either don't want to give or don't give or just want to say they don't give. Even to the point, you know, that there's a huge thing, right, when you get on social media and the coaches, and a lot of time it's sent around football coaches because that's who gets, quote, unquote, all the press, right? But they talk about that they dropped a recruit because they – posted something inappropriate on their social media. Uh, and on one hand, right, you want to say, oh, well, yeah, bravo, good for you, coach. You want to bring in, quote, unquote, good kids, whatever that definition is, right, into your program. On the other hand, I sit there and think, holy cow, first of all, A, thank God social media wasn't around when I was 18-year-old. Just put start there. Thank goodness. Right, right. <laughs> Two, how many people, how many stories, how many really ultra successful people, by the way, Richie, you're one of these guys that made mistakes as 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And because they were given second chances or because someone didn't give up on them or because someone gave them a break or because someone simply sat them down and said, hey, this is a safe place. You're allowed to make mistakes here. You will not be given up on. That's what I hear when I hear safe place. Like mm -hmm. you will not mm -hmm. be given up on. And they became successful people in society. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, I love that story about that young lady about, you know, people had given up on her. She had academic issues. And I'm sure plenty of people said she will never amount to anything. People would have bet big money that 4.0, she can't get a 4.0. And yet now she not only got that, and that's just a, a status symbol. Not only status symbol, it's important to get 4.0s, I guess, but you know, it's not right. like the be end all. Uh, right. Lord knows I never got a 4.0 in any <laughs> semester, I'll tell you that. Um, but now she is going to, because of how you treated her, you gave her a second and, and maybe a third, fourth, fifth chance. I don't know, it doesn't matter, but because you believed in her, because she felt safe with you and your staff, it had to be the whole program, uh, she's mm -hmm. going to be successful. She is going to contribute positively to society because of that. So I, that's, that's so awesome. Man. I love that. And we have so many stories like that. So many. Yeah. So many. Yeah. I love that. That's, and ultimately, you know, I think if you were to survey coaches and you ask them, what are the reasons that you got into coaching? Certainly uh, if they're smart, dead last would be money, right? Because <laughs> well, we know, uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, certainly the top three might be, you know, I love the sport and wanted to continue to be in it. Uh, I think a lot of coaches would say in their top three, I wanted to make a difference positively in young people's lives. And I bet you there's a little bit asterisk on that. And it's because it's what happened to them. They were given second chances and, and their, their coaches in their life or their teachers made a positive impact on them. So now they feel like they owe. And so it's like, well, how, do, how best do I pay someone back? Well, I go affect other 18 to 22 year olds. Absolutely. In a college setting. Yeah. 
So what are some of the, and I, I, I want to say I grew up, you know, my, several of my, most of my coaching stops along my career were in the Alabama state type schools, uh, small schools, the same kind of budget concerns and small cities, even though Montgomery was the big city to you. I, lo I love that. Uh, you know, I was at Troy University. I was in Muncie, Indiana at Ball State. I was in Juco and Chanute, Kansas. Uh, so while there certainly are struggles, and it's important to recognize those, there are sometimes a lot of advantages. What advantages might you have there at Alabama State after 20 years? A lot of the advantages is being able to do what I do uh, without a lot of restrictions. Hmm. Uh, you know, where, you know, the, 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 the bigger school you at, the more restriction you have, the, the more of a microscope is, is on you, uh, the, the stress level uh, is on you. Is it still stressful? Yes, but it's not a financial type of stressful, like, okay, we're giving you $300,000 a year, and if it doesn't happen, you and your family in jeopardy, we're gonna find somebody else. I don't have that type of stress. Uh, do I have stress to make, make sure managing very, very, very limited resource budget that I do have, but the advantage is having a peace of mind. And a peace of mind is priceless. Mm -hmm. Peace of mind is priceless. And you know, and taking what you do have and making the best of it. Um, does it get a lot of try, uh, get, get trying at time? It does, but there are also other advantages that you get young people, like I said, a lot of times where other people look over them and the advantage is you get to see this product now that's out there in society that's now they're, they're married, they have a good career. Uh, I've had young people that leave here now that doctors. Uh, I had one of my students call me last week. He owned his own business. He's going to be coming yeah. to Montgomery. He just want to, he's a man, I just want my family and my wife and my kids just to meet the man that got me going. How does and that make you a, feel? It, it feels good. And this right. was a kid, this kid was, he was getting into some serious stuff. And I, as, and I was an assistant coach then, and I bought this, bought this young man. I said, listen, come sit with me. I said, listen, I'm not far removed from society and the streets. I'm hearing about some things that you got. Either you get this together, or I'm going to the head coach. I said, for every, from now on, once a week, you and I are going to meet. And, and I said, and if you don't do what do this, I'm turning you in. And now this kid has his own business, doing very well financially in life. So these are the advantages that I get at the Alabama State because you have so many young people where they can't get in, especially Afro-Americans, that can't get into the major university. And here, here's, here's, here's a fact. We all know recruiting are recruiting comes in tiers. Your tier one, tier two, tier three. It's hardly ever, unless your program hit an elite status, that you would get a tier one type athlete. Now, if you take an Afro-American male who's really, really good, if he have the grades and he can qualify division one and he is the times or jumps or whatever really, really good. Most of the time, he's going to get picked up by the major universities. If he makes the qualifying status, if he barely makes it, more than likely, there are some exceptions that'll be made and they'll still get in. Well, now you got to start diving off into the tier two, tier threes. 
Well, a lot of times we they pick up a tier two here or there, and they're tier two to where now you're competing against some of the uh, I don't, don't want to say mid majors, some of the smaller PWIs and things like that. And so now you got to battle with this, and a lot of times you might get a few tier twos. Then now you're dealing with tier threes, and now you have to coach them up. And so, and then they said, you know what? I'll try the HBCU. I want to go to HBCU because these, this is the type of school that willing to give me a chance. Um, and then there's a certain pride that comes with that. Now you have to have coaches and people in place who understands their tradition and the pride of why these schools are in place. North Carolina ANTs, your Florida AM, your Alcorn, your Jackson States. We can name so many schools, your Hampton, where you see athletes pop up and that's where do they get these kids from? And because they want to go there and they they know the history, or maybe they didn't get the chance somewhere else. And so it's a certain pride when you walk into a building and said, you know what? And I make sure our athletes know you represent the Alabama State brand. When you get off the bus, when you step off the plane, the, the way that you move, because you're HBCU, people are gonna look at you in favor, and then some people are not gonna look at you in favor. Mike, I, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that there were people who said some very nasty things over the course of my profession, either not directly toward me, but I heard it, or the way that me or my athletes were treated. And, and that's 100% fact. But the thing about it, we, we've, been, we've been educated where we've been taught where we have a sense of pride. And that's an advantage because yes, we don't have resources. Yes, we, we might not have the budget, but I guarantee you when they walk out of these doors, they're prepared. If you can survive here, you can survive anywhere. This is closest to reality in life you're going to get. I don't knock schools for having resources. It's a blessing. But a lot of the young people who go there, and got they automatically give them the, the really nice apartment. They give them the meal allowances. They give them these living expenses. And then all of a sudden when they graduate, it's snatched away. And now you got to figure out how you're going to get that same type of living and pay for it yourself. We're developing our young people, save your money, prepare yourself, invest in yourself. And when you graduate, you already have that drive to go get your apartment, understanding your credit, because I talked to my, my athletes about their credit. Um, seriously, it's crazy that I say this. At eight o'clock this morning, well, about 6.30, one of my athletes texted me like, hey, coach, call me when you wake up. And when I called her and I talked on the phone this morning about investing, and trading. And she's like, Coach, I'm doing really well. Da, 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 da. I'm, I'm investing my money. I'm putting it up. And we had an investing conversation. And we later talked about track and field. And we discussed the stock market and how it's getting ready to come back and where she's putting certain things. Well, when, manage. when we finish with today and when we stop recording, I need to get some stock market tips from you. So don't let me <laughs> forget that. I wish, you know, we, we do these episodes these these interviews over zoom so uh, coach bean and i can see each other right now 
you are only listening to this, but if you could see the passion, he is getting worked up here, uh, and what you're, what you're hearing, so Richie doesn't catch this though, because he was talking that whole time, right? You're hearing that little click, 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 click. Every time you hear that, that is Richie, I don't want to say banging his fist on the table that you're at, but you are hitting the, the table that you're at, and, and we can hear that reverb back. The, oh, sorry. No, no, it's all good. No, it, it adds to the story that you're telling it because it, it, we're, we're listening right now and so we can't see you, the listeners, and so they, they, they now understand that whole picture of that passion that you just uh, went through. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a good enough host that I know when to sit back and, and let you go. That was that was really good because that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you today. You keep using this these um, I don't know what they're called the anagrams initials HBCU. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this a little bit because there's some people that may be listening right now that don't know. They just heard those three letters and you might as well have just said ACC SEC ABC one two three. Uh, let's take a step back here. Tell us what HBCU stands for. Not only what those letters stand for, and then. Go, bigger picture, what does HBCU stand for? HBCU stands for Historical Black Colleges and University. What it stands for is a history of allowing people of color to be able to get an education when we weren't allowed to go to PWIs and PWIs, predominantly white institutions. Um, it gives, it gave, they open to give us an opportunity to and to empower ourselves uh, for the current generation then into future generations. Well, you know, it's evolved over the years and, and, and uh, since the initial start, but that's the whole purpose of it and the history behind it. And every school has its individual history and then it's a collective history as a brand. And the, the, the unity and the feel that we get when we see our fellow university do well on national level, regional levels, the coaches, it is so exciting because we know the challenges. And here's the cool thing is people in places historically that once wanted to keep us out are now giving us invitations in. Now, is it where it need to be? And we know there are so many things going on nationally now with, with the protests and things like that. And now is the time to start having healthier conversations. And because a lot of things is because people don't know or they've only been given a little bit of information or they've been given misinformation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time our university are looked down upon but when you look at a lot of the people in this board, a lot of people at various levels in government and medicine or whatever, if you trace their education and where they are from or their parents or somebody has ties to a historically black college or university, you, you have two people that we talked about today that's doing very well in coaching that had ties to Alabama State. We talk about Jabri and we talk about Charles. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that people don't know until they dig deep. It's like, man, 
a lot of times these schools are looked down upon, but a lot of things and a lot of people got their base from my HBCU education. I've had some amazing conversations over the past week with Brooks Johnson, Lamont Vaughn, uh, even Derek Peterson. And, you know, of course, in the time frame that we're doing these interviews with um, not, not necessarily with what things are happening, because these things have been happening for quite a while. We've now it's boiled up to the top and maybe you, uh, more people are seeing what's going on. Um, and it was interesting. I think it was with uh, Brooks Johnson. We, you know, I, we talked about that, you know, segregation. And so in, in this aspect, we're talking about segregation of HBCUs where certain people could go to school and where some people could not go to school. Wasn't that long ago. It's sometimes we need perspective. We live in 2020 and it's really easy to forget what was one generation ago. Uh, and right before we hit record today, Richie, someone on my Facebook posted uh, I can't remember her last name. I believe her first name was Ruby. That I think today is the anniversary of uh, Ruby, a six-year-old girl. Uh, first integrated schools. I don't know if it was in Alabama or if it was in Tuscaloosa specifically, so I don't want to get the history wrong. Uh, but she, this was like, this is the year that she, you know, as a six-year-old was the first uh, person to, uh, for integration for school. And it said, you know, she's now, you know, a 65-year-old woman. And I was like, holy cow. 65 my mother-in-law is that that's like that's not she's not we're not celebrating the 365th birthday of this young lady she is only 65 years old that this person had to, to bust segregation that just that's mind-blowing so it sounds like these schools i'm asking for this history not telling uh, the HBCUs, these are schools that came up and said, okay, if we're in segregated times, then okay, then we're going to have academic uh, institutions of academic uh, learning for people of color. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and I mean, it, 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 it still holds true today. It still holds true today. Now, don't get me wrong. You can walk out on campus, even our various sports team on, on campus, we, we have become very diverse. Because at the end of the day, the same equality that we want for us, we believe in that everybody should be able to have as well. So, you know, people think a lot of times, oh, it's an HBCU. Uh, it's not welcoming and open arms to various uh, races or rape, uh, rape different uh, ethnic groups and things like that. And that's just not the case. I mean, you come here, you see so many different people from different countries black, white, you name it, uh, walking our campus. But back then, we were probably the only ones to walk in our campus. And you're right, it's, it wasn't long ago um, when all of this stuff was happening. When I graduated and, and in high school, believe it or not, in, in, in the early 90s and in, in late 80s, I remember being in high school and we had a black homecoming queen and a white homecoming queen. And this is, we're talking about late 90s, uh, early 90s, late 80s in Mississippi. Yeah, I'm afraid. And where my parents literally feared when I would drive home late at night because they knew, hey, call us when you uh, on your way home and, and things like that because there was a lot of things that would happen. 
So yeah, I grew it wasn't up that in, long ago. I grew up in small town Alabama, and uh, you know, I'm I'm the younger of us two, Richie. I'm two years younger than you. I, it shows in my my face. <laughs> Uh, it shows in my face because I have less stress because I got out of coaching. You, <laughs> uh, I graduated in '94, small town Alabama, and you know a lot of those same things um, uh, that you expressed. We had the same things on, on in our hometown, unfortunately. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you dispelled that myth of HBCUs that oh, it's only for people of color. It is a school, and it just happens to be predominantly of color because that's the tradition and historical um, backdrop of the school. Right, absolutely. Now, one of the um, other things you'll hear uh, about HBCUs, and it's not a myth, and you have direct firsthand knowledge of this, we learned. Uh, so one of the traditions athletically among HBCUs is the marching band. My, I wish you could have seen the smile on his face as soon as I said that. My first introduction, I'd heard of it and seen it. Um, there used to be, I don't know if there still is, there used to be the Southern Classic, which pitted maybe the SWAC and the MEAC in a bowl game. Yes. And yes. so the half it was the only football game where at halftime, the TV didn't switch to the announcers. It stayed in the stadium. And then when I was at Troy University, when we were 1AA, the first round, we played Florida A&M in, mm -hmm. in Tallahassee. And we all traveled down. And it was the only football game I've ever been to where traditionally with two minutes or a minute to go before halftime, everybody goes to the bathroom break and get your nachos and your hot dogs. Nobody left the stadium during halftime, like third quarter, I didn't see third quarter because that's when everybody went and got bathroom breaks. Everybody wanted to see the band. Um, so to, as someone who was in that, what, what is that experience like? Because this is, this is lore, these bands of HBCU. Man, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And, and it's just the atmosphere, the pageantry of just having the games, um, the togetherness, the food, just people loving on each other, knowing that, hey, we're all here for the same purpose. And music, music, we're just a, we're a generation, even young people today love music. And if you wanna bring people together and, and just take it to another level and just, it's through music. Music, music soothes the soul. And, and I, even my baby girl to this day, she loves music. Uh, and we listen to music together and, and she's into dance and she's into art and all of these things. And I want to expose her to all of these things because my mom pushed me into music. She had me singing in the choir. So when you talk about the black college experience, the uh, black college music, the history behind it, no, everybody's not cut out for it, but anybody that experienced it and open their heart and their mind. I don't care if you're black, white, orange, green, it doesn't matter. If you cut us, we're all going to be red and love and just do it. I mean, we have coaches here uh, of different races, uh, this white, um, Hispanic, uh, and they come here and they coach and they love the games. Uh, we have awesome relationships. We meet the, we meet each other's wives, and, and we just fellowship and have a good time with each other. And that's what you love about it. That is what this world needs as a whole. 
that's what the bigger schools have to understand. And, and I do want to say this. We need bigger schools to understand our struggle. Mm -hmm. We need them to understand that our young people want the same opportunities. Give us a chance. We have more stuff happening now where people are trying to separate themselves from smaller schools, HBCUs, mid-majors. I, I, I get it, but then I don't get it. The reason why I don't get it, understand somebody helped you. Also do something to help somebody else. That coach, that university, somebody gave you an opportunity. Either you were born in it, or you had to work your way and somebody pull you up. So I give kudos to schools like the University of Florida, University of Kentucky, Purdue, and some of those schools say, you know what, Coach Bean, uh, we understand the history of HBCU. We want you guys to come and be at our meets. And hey, we're gonna help you get here and understand. And these schools and these coaches get it, and their blessings keep turning over and over. These schools and some of the other places could have easily turned their noses up and say, ah, we don't want this little black school here, or we don't want to do that. But they say, you know what? Everybody deserves an opportunity to compete. Maybe not all at all the time, but give people an opportunity. I promise you, that's why I do what I do. I promise you, wherever my career takes me, I will be taking other people and pulling them over and pushing them along as well, no matter at what level. I don't think anybody has a doubt of that, Richie. Uh, they can hear it in your voice. Uh, I wish they could see it in your eyes right now, but anybody who's spoken to you before, I know they have seen that. Uh, HBCUs have been in the news a lot lately. Um, mainly center they're probably in the news a lot for a lot of other things unfortunately my whole life is athletic so all i read is the sports section <laughs> uh, so my examples are going to be sports which may uh, definitely is not fair to the academic side of hbcus um, lately i've read and i keep seeing it both ways either the number one recruiter the number one freshman in high school recruit has either chosen or is considering choosing an HBCU for basketball, which would be huge because we know the yes. money side of basketball and uh, maybe kind of the seedy side of, of college basketball as it relates to agents and such, which is also in the news, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, you got a top recruit who's considering an HBCU school. And then just today I saw a, a tweet or something about, I think it's the one of the top receivers from Vanderbilt. I mean, good Lord, is there a better academic school out there? Uh, who is transferring to, I believe it was, was it Alcorn State? You and I were talking yes. about this. Yeah, so Alcorn you're State, on the yeah. water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Awesome. yeah. Um, so it seems like, you know, uh, I don't want to say, you know, two people doesn't make a trend, but it seems like there's just more thought towards HBCUs. Uh, not to put you on the spot to represent all HBCUs here, Richie, but as someone who is a, an alum of an HBCU and the as the experience level you have at coaching at HBCU, what does the future look like for HBCUs? Is it, are, are things on an upswing? Are they just kind of static right now? Well, let me put my thoughts together. Yeah, this was out of the blue. We got to give him a moment to think because I did kind yeah. of come out of right field on this one. I do like yeah. to, if you've listened to the episode, to the podcast enough, you know I like to challenge every once in a while. I'll, I'll get them. I'll get them with these good thoughtful questions because 
I know they have it in them. They, 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 these are the guys and gals we need to be listening to when it comes to questions like this. I think there's, and I want to be fair, with everything that's going on now, it's given us an opportunity to have various athletes to look at HBCUs, uh, HBCUs more, and give them an opportunity. I want to I want to start with the current state of the HBCU. Okay. There are there are a lot of positive things that are out there about HBCUs, and then there are a lot of negative things when it comes and things like that, getting certain type of athletes. When it comes down to funding, when education truly exists, and this is my personal feeling, when education we put together, it's kind of almost kind of like healthcare. You're going to have your have and your have nots. And I think neither was ever created to be equal and fair across the board. And it's evident. People don't like to talk about it. Some people do. But if you just take a hard look at the education system, you can see one school right here that has all the bells and the whistle, and you can drive two blocks over, and the doors are falling off the building. And as long as the ones over here are getting everything that they want, everybody that's left over here kind of like, well, y'all figure it out. Our doors are far from falling out, falling off. We need more people corporate sponsors, uh, other people, uh, businesses, uh, and even alumni to put more money back into it. Because at the end of the day, it's about your endowment, the money that you have, the money that you raise. And then also people saying, hey, you know what? They do serve a purpose. The, the schools do serve a purpose. Uh, a lot of our students, students, once they graduate, they are going to PWIs and get masters and becoming doctors. So if you know that, let's go ahead and continue to invest in it. So the state of it, of it is now, you have seen HBCUs close. You, you have seen them go into uh, a financial downfall. Uh, even with the COVID-19, you're seeing large schools, athletic programs already struggling. And we talk about schools that way, that's, that's bigger and have more students. So what do you think we're looking at here and the challenges that we're facing? Right. So it's a real thing, but here's the positive spin to it. With everything that's going on now, you have students say, you know what? Let's take a look, another look at HBCU if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a black boy, black girl. And there's an opportunity for me to even go play basketball at Alabama State for, our, for Mo Williams or for, for Richie Bean. And, I saw them on national on, on, on at the national championship. I saw them at regionals, and the uniforms are don't look that bad. And the thing about it is, he's also telling me, "You will graduate. You will be a productive citizen. You will leave with a degree that you can respect when you're done. You don't leave with a degree in basket weaving or." or something that's been created to make sure you get pushed along. You will leave here with a major in biology or in education or, or health sciences where when your name shows up, you show up. 
So now they're starting to see that. Now they're starting to ask more questions and giving us the opportunities. Uh, and you look at uh, Dwayne Ross and uh, at North Carolina a and some of the things that he's been able to do with his program. You look at some of the other schools in the MEAC, uh, some of the other schools in the conference. We might not be consistent every year having and 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 an conversation for winning that championship, but at the end of the day, we 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 shaking the tree on somebody' hopes. Like, oh man, we didn't see those boys coming, and. And it, and it and it has often changed the outcome of those meets. Well, I think when you look at a holistic approach to athletics uh, and, and student athletics, when you talk about education and you talk about getting better in your craft, whether it's track and field, basketball, et cetera, um, and knowing some of the coaches at some of these great schools we've mentioned, you know, Hamptons, Tuskegee's, uh, Grambling, anyway, Lamont Vaughn from Grambling on right. the other day. Um, you, you know, certainly not only is it a viable option, it, uh, take away viable, because viable means like, oh, I should also consider that you absolutely, they should be uh, considered, these schools should be considered in your um, your top five as you're looking, because there are some amazing academics. I mean, there are, uh, you go look in through the government, through healthcare, et cetera, and go look at where they got their undergrad. You will see lots of Alcorn states, Alabama states, Florida mm -hmm. A&Ms, et cetera. There's uh, they, definitely the education side of it, no questions asked. It's at an extremely high level. Uh, and again, I put you on the spot there. Uh, that was a great uh, answer because it was real truthful. That's the number one uh, thing you need for a, a great answer. But, you know, it was really heartfelt there, uh, Richie. And, you know, having watched you now, uh, you know, go through a graduate program, through assistant as a head coach and, and getting to know you on a much um, more personal basis, you know, I think it's easy, even before today, I, I could have easily said, you know, you are leading young men and women into society to, to create positive waves. And, you know, those waves, you know, if you think about a stone being thrown into the ocean, right, waves keep going hundreds of miles out. And that is the reach that you are giving your, the kids that go through your program. And even through the HBCU program, the kids, uh, men and women that come through all of these schools, again, are just, they're being led by real men and women leaders. They are being taught by great professors, men and women out there, uh, and they're going on to do big things in this world, in this society uh, that we see on a daily basis through news and business owners, et cetera. And then the ones you don't, just as important, I think we forget this sometimes, the things that don't show up in the newspaper and on the Forbes 500 list is kids that go through a program such as yours and they learn how to be a good dad. They learn how to be a good mom. They learn how to be a good husband and wife. And we grow our family system through leadership. Uh, that you exemplify with you and your family, faith, family, and friends. I, I love, I wanted to make sure I ended on that because that was such a great way to begin it, man. Uh, so thankful you joined us today, Richie. I, I can't say thank you enough, my man. That's just so awesome of you. I feel blessed to be on and I hope I've said something to help somebody along the way. And I just, I wanted to say to everybody that does hear this, hear this podcast that I am so grateful and honored Mike, that you allow me to come on and give a platform for Alabama State and for a little bit about me because I don't share the road to a lot of people to 
where and how, and we could probably go another three hours talking about things. And I know we will someday offline, just you and I fellowship, fellowship just how two grown men do, but uh, I'm very grateful. And just anybody, always think about somebody, how you can do stuff. Somebody Understand that our HBCUs have a purpose and that Alabama State want to represent on every level, academically, nine so give us an opportunity when you have those meetings we, we're going to come in we're going to show up and we're going to show out uh that's that's our brand and uh it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be us if we didn't do that and when i say show out we're going to put the best product out there that uh on the track and our young men and young women are going to represent us and it's my goal to continue to represent us in the state myself in the in the bean brand to the highest level you are the epitome of selflessness, my friend. I'm so glad to share your story here today. It will. You said you hope it, it gives positivity to the people. It will. There'll be people that listen to this that understand uh, that what you went through in your life, that they also, that you letting those barriers get in the way, those are excuses, and they will overcome those barriers because of the example you have set. Ladies and gentlemen, Richie Bean, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. As well, we encourage you to connect with others and share the podcast on your social media. Looking forward to next time when we connect you with another great track and field connection. Bye, guys.